I've got in my uh, pocket right now, I've got a little plastic pocket knife that I carry with me most of the time. I, I get these from Walmart in the little camping section, and they're only like 3 or $4. And I get them there because I'm always losing my knife. And so I get like a 3 or $4 knife, and I carry it for a few months, and then I lose it, and then I go get another one. Um, where, I, where I come from, where I grew up in Tennessee, most of the men that I grew up around carried pocket knives with them all the time. Um, I grew up kind of in a farming area, farming community. My family were farmers uh, for the most part, and or at least came from farmers. Both my grandparents were farmers, I should say. And so this is something I kind of just knew growing up, right? And I remember, uh, I remember, I remember the first time I got a real pocket, like a for real pocket knife, when I was 13 years old, I think it was my 13th birthday, uh, my dad gave me a case pocket knife. That's a pretty good, pretty nice knife, right? Pretty good knife. Kind of a rite of passage. I lost it. Don't know where it is now. Uh, but, but I have that memory. I remember him giving me one, and I, I guess he thought that I was uh, getting to be old enough and responsible enough to, to have a knife of my own. Um, coincidentally, I also remember just a few years ago uh, at a, on a birthday, Mr. Bob Samuels gave me a pocket knife. So maybe he thought I was finally responsible enough to have my own knife then. I don't know. Uh, but either way, I, I, I've kind of gotten that habit of, of carrying a knife, carrying a pocket knife. Um, when my dad got me that knife, uh, my mom wasn't 100% sure that I was ready, ready to have a knife. Uh, but my dad gave it to me anyway. And uh, not long after I got it, um, I think I was using it to try to pry something open or pry something apart, pry something loose. And of course, you know what happened. Um, either, it, either I didn't have it locked and so it folded up and cut my knuckles or it slipped out somehow and cut me. But either way, I got, I got cut by it, right? And so my mom ended up being, being right as, as usual. Um, and, I, and, and I learned a lesson then too and I, and I still remember that. Um, it wasn't a huge cut, but I remember that. I've got a cut right here. Um, that I got with a razor knife when I was working at a furniture store when I was in seminary. Sliced the whole hand open. I probably should have got stitches. I just super glued it back together myself. Um, but I've got that scar there. It reminded me of that. Um, and, and the lesson is that, that things can be dangerous when they're not used for, uh, for their purpose, when they're not used the way they're meant to be used, right? Things can be dangerous when they're not used the way they're meant to be used, and that goes for, for pocket knives, other kind of knives. Um, it goes for electricity, right? For example, so electricity is really good. Uh, the electricity went off here in Fairdale on Friday for several hours, and, and we noticed it, right? We, we, it, it, it inconvenienced us, and it was kind of a, kind of a pain. Um, electricity is really good, but electricity can also be dangerous if you don't use it rightly, right? If you're trying to wire something up in your house and, and you don't do it the right way, it can be really dangerous. It can burn your house down. Um, it can kill you, and if, if you're not doing it the right way, it can be really dangerous. Um, medicine's good, right? Medicine's obviously good, but we know people, or we know of people who have misused medication and are addicted to medications, and, and those things can be dangerous if they're not used the way they're meant to be used, right? Fire can be really useful, right? Bonfire outside on a, on a, on a cool evening, cool night, uh, fireplace, uh, this, the, the range of my house, the stove in my house is, is a gas stove, so it has uh, flames that, that come up when you're cooking. Those things can be useful, can be good, but we all know fire can be dangerous as well, right? And so things can be, uh, can be really good. Many things are, are, are really good, 
Um, but they're also really dangerous if they're not used the way that they're meant to be used. Okay? So I want us to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read just a few verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Timothy and also Exodus, uh, both tonight, kind of, kind of going back and forth. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. 1 Timothy 1, verse 8, Paul says this, But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. Some of your translations may have kind of a play on words there, right? That we know the law is good if it's used lawfully. Kind of using that, that play on words. And that's kind of neat. I like that. My translation says legitimately. But it's the same thing. We know the law is good provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and sinful. For the unholy and irreverent. For those who kill their fathers and mothers. For murderers. For the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. Paul says the law is good, but only if we use it lawfully or legitimately or rightly. Only if we use it according to what it was meant to be used for, right? Just like medicine or electricity or fire or a knife, the law can be deadly when, when it's used wrongly. The, the biblical law we're talking about, the law can be deadly when it's used wrongly. When we do use it wrongly, when we try to make it do something it wasn't intended to do, it can cause lots of, lots of damage. We're gonna start a series tonight on the Ten Commandments. And uh, we're gonna be preaching through the Ten Commandments. Different people will be preaching each each night, uh, and it's gonna go all the way through the end of July, okay? There's only 10, 10 commandments, right? And if we do an introduction and a conclusion, that's only 12 weeks, but we have a lot of, lot of holidays in the summertime that we, take church, that we take off from church on Sunday night. So this is gonna take us all the way up through the end of July, and we'll have different people preaching each commandment, um, and we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to that. Tonight, what I wanna do, and just in the next few minutes that we have, I want us to look at the Ten Commandments as a whole. Not any one of the commandments, but the Ten Commandments as a whole, kind of as a representative of the Old Testament law. And I want us to consider four things, okay? Two ways that we often use the law wrongly, illegitimately or unlawfully, and then two ways that it should be used. It's real purposes. It's, it's lawful or legitimate uses, okay? So how do we use the law unlawfully or illegitimately or, or wrongly? Well, one way we do that, I think, is sometimes uh, we, we can pride ourselves on knowing the law or being known by the law, okay? And, and here's what I mean by that. This is how the Pharisees used the law. They, they knew it really, really well, right? They knew the law really, really well. And they were, they were really good at, at knowing it and discussing it and holding other people accountable to it. They just weren't very good at obeying it themselves, right? 
And I wonder how many of us are, are, are kind of that way. How many of us are the same way? I wonder how many of us, when we see other people falling short of God's righteousness and, and God's law, maybe we find satisfaction in the fact that we can recognize it, that we can point it out, right? I know what the Bible says. I know what God requires. And when I see other people not, not meet that standard, not, 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 uh, not live up to that, it kind of gives me satisfaction that I can, I can know that. I can pick that out. I'm good at understanding it and, and, and knowing it and, and recognizing it that way. But maybe, maybe also we pride ourselves on being known by it, right? Um, I, I don't know about, about, maybe some of you all have this, I, I don't know, but I've seen a lot of Ten Commandment yard signs, right? And it seems like they kind of go in phases. There'll be a church in the, in the area that, that has those and gives them out to all their members and they'll put them up everywhere. Um, that, that happens in Tennessee. I remember that from when I was growing up. I've seen that around here. Um, and, and maybe you, some of you had those in your signs and in, in your yards, and that's, and that's fine. That, that's okay. That's good. That's not a bad thing. Um, I wasn't here then, but, I, but I've heard of um, a time back in, the, in this church's history, uh, maybe in the 90s, I'm not sure, where the church got pictures of the Ten Commandments, framed pictures of the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and donated them to the high school and had them hung in all the high school classrooms, right? We have some of those still here at our church now because sometime after that, the high school said, we don't want these anymore, we can't have these anymore, and they gave them all back to the church. And so some of the classrooms around, some of the different rooms in the church uh, may, may have some of those hanging today. Um, but I wonder, when I drive by those houses and see the, the Ten Commandment signs, I don't always think this, but, but sometimes I do if I notice it and pay attention to it. I wonder how many of the people living in those houses actually know what the Ten Commandments say. I wonder how, how many of them actually know the Ten Commandments. I wonder how many of, uh, of them um, w- would follow them or would say they follow them or would try to, to follow them. I wonder how many politicians who fight for the Ten Commandments to be uh, displayed at courthouses or city halls or schools or whatever it might be, public buildings. I wonder how many of them know what the Ten Commandments are. I wonder how many of them understand what the Ten Commandments are, are for. Sometimes we can just be, want to be known by things of God, right, without actually following the things of God. Sometimes we can want to be known as, uh, as connected to God without really being connected to God. And this is not the right way to use the law. Um, in fact, it's, 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 this is a deadly way to use the law. It produces pride, and the Bible says that pride leads to death. So one, one wrong way to use the law, one way we don't want to use the law is uh, by priding ourselves and knowing it really well and picking out when people mess up and don't follow it, or we're trying to be known by it, identify ourselves by it. A second way that, that, that maybe sometimes we try to use the law that, that's not good and not right is um, we, we pride ourselves on keeping it, or at least keeping it better than we think other people keep it, right? This is how many of, uh, of the Jewish people in the Old Testament tried to use the law, right? Um, they tried to use the law as a way of, uh, of trying to get to God, trying to reach God, trying to be, um, be accepted by God. And, and I'm afraid that there's some believers even today that maybe still do this. Maybe some, some believers in our church. We think if we can just obey everything the law says, then we'll gain God's acceptance, we'll gain God's uh, salvation, his favor. But there's, there's two problems with this way of trying to keep the law. The first one is we can't do that, right? We can't keep the law. We can't do it. 
At least we can't do it perfectly. In, in, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, we need to be more righteous than the scribes or the Pharisees. The problem with the Pharisees and the way that they tried to obey the law is not that they were too holy or too righteous, right? It was that they weren't righteous enough. Think, think about the list of the Ten Commandments. Think about what Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5 say. We find lists in both of those chapters. We're to only worship God, right? We're not to have any graven images. We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. We're to honor our father and mother. Uh, we're not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to give false testimony, and not to covet. I wonder how many of those 10 commandments have you kept? Thinking through the list. I wonder how many of those you've kept. And remember, before you answer to yourself, remember that in another passage in Matthew uh, five in the Sermon on the Mount, throughout, that, throughout the, those chapters, five through seven, he tells us that anger is really the same thing as murder in our hearts, right? He tells us that lust is really the same thing as adultery in our hearts. So I wonder how many of you kept. And if your answer is anything other than zero, then you might wanna go back and look through the list again and think through the list again, right? And think through the Sermon on the Mount again. The truth is that, that none of us have kept any of the Ten Commandments. We've all broken them. And, and even, even if you think you haven't broken all of them, even if, if you can kind of convince yourself that there's, there's, there's one or two or three or four maybe that you've never broken in your whole life, remember what, what James says when he said, for whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking all of it, Right? So if we think the right way to use the law is to, to obey it as a, as a means of trying to get in good with God, to, to, to get his favor and acceptance from God, uh, then, then there's some bad news because you haven't done that, right? You haven't kept it. That, that's some bad news. But even if you could obey it, there's a second problem with thinking this way. Even if you could obey it perfectly and keep it perfectly, that's not why the law was given to begin with. That's not what the law does. Even if you did keep it perfectly, that's not what the law is for. Look at the beginning of Exodus chapter 20. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Look at, look at uh, the first two verses. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and then verse three says, do not have any other gods before me. So verse three is when we get the first commandment of the 10 commandments, right? But verses one and two, God says, he's already their God. It's not that they keep the 10 commandments and, they, and he becomes their God. He says, I am your God, right? I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you out of slavery. I am your God. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. The 10 commandments were never meant as a way to, to gain favor with God, to earn acceptance from God. God was already their, their God before he gave the Ten Commandments, right? So what are the Ten Commandments for? If they shouldn't be used that way, then, then how should we use the Ten Commandments? And I want to give you two, two answers, two ways that we should use the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And there may be other ways, but, but these two I want to highlight. The first one is the Ten Commandments reveal to us who God is. 
They reveal to us who God is. They reveal to us God's, God's character. Okay? They reveal to us God's character. We're going to look at them more in, in, in more detail, obviously, as we go on through this series. But let's look at each of them right now, just, just for a second. Uh, we're told that we're only to worship one God, right? We're only to worship one God. Well, the reason is because God is the only God that exists. God is God. So we should only worship him. He's distinct from creation. He's distinct from everything else. He's a jealous God who will not share his glory with anything else, anyone else. And so we're called to worship him. He tells us not to have any images. Well, we don't need to try to create images of God. He's already given us an image, right? He says that we are made in his image. So when I look at you and when you look at me, we see images of God. And especially when we look at Jesus, he's the perfect image, right? Hebrews tells us that. John's gospel tells us that. And we look to Jesus and we see God perfectly. We don't need any images because God has revealed himself through his creation, through us and through his son, Jesus. If we want to know what he's like, we don't look to a picture. We look to, uh, to scripture. We look to, to Jesus. He tells us not to use the Lord's name in vain. Um, if we follow Jesus and become one of his people, then we have a task of exalting his reputation, making him known, making him glorified as he really is. He tells us to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy because God is a working God and a resting God. He's a working God and a resting God. He created all that is and is still creating new hearts today. He's sovereign over creation, does whatever his heart desires for him to do. And, and yet he also completes his work and he rests from his work. He tells us to honor your father and mother we see that there are authorities that have been put in place over us and, and they're, they're rightfully there. We're rightfully subject to these authorities and, and God has made it that way and this ultimately points to God as our, as our final authority, our ultimate authority. He tells us not to murder, right? In the New Testament, we read that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He tells us not to take life because God is the life giver. He tells us not to, to commit adultery because God is faithful to his people. He tells us not to steal. James tells us that all good gifts come down from the Father above. And we should rest in God's provision, trust in God's provision. We don't steal things because God is who he is and he's promised to provide for us. He tells us not to give false testimony. Again, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the, and the life. Uh, Paul and Titus and the writer of Hebrews says that it's impossible for God to, to lie. And so he tells us not to lie. And then he tells us not to covet. And in that commandment, we see that God is trustworthy. We can trust him to give everything that we need. We can trust him to have given us what's good for us to have and not be jealous or coveting over what someone else might have. So the Ten Commandments, they, they, re they reveal to us, they show us who God is, what his, what his character is. So one way that we use the law rightly or legitimately or lawfully is that when we read it, we ask ourselves, what is this commandment or what is this group of commandments revealing to us about God's character? Why did God command us not to do certain things? Why did God command us to do certain things? What does that teach us about him? And then we rejoice in the goodness of God that, that we see in that. A second way that, that we use the law or that we should use the law legitimately, rightly, is, and, and this is the, the main thing I want to say tonight, the main thing I want you to hear tonight, 
the main way that the law is used in our lives today is it leads us to Jesus. It leads us to Christ. The Ten Commandments reveal God to us as he really is, and the Ten Commandments reveal us to us as we really are. And then the result of that is it leads us to Jesus. In Galatians chapter three, Paul said this in verse 24. He said, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. Some translations say that it was a, a tutor that leads us to Christ. This is the main purpose of the law. It, it leads us to Christ. So how does it do this? How does this work? How does the law lead us to, to Jesus? Well, I like the way that, that John Calvin says it. He says the law acts like a mirror. The Ten Commandments act like a mirror. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see ourselves as we really are compared to God's righteousness and God's holiness and God's character and God's demands. We see our own sinfulness, which should lead us to seek a remedy that we find only in Jesus. When we see the Ten Commandments, we see God tells us not to lie and we're reminded that we've lied, right? God tells us not to murder and we're reminded that we've hated people in our, in our hearts. And so the Ten Commandments act like a mirror. They show us the, the, the truthfulness of who we are. Martin Luther uh, described it a, a little more harshly. He, he says this. He's, he's kind of picking up on Jeremiah 23, and he says this. The law is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, and the thunder of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. Luther was a little, a little more harsh than, than some other people of his day, right? He says, as long as a person thinks he is right, he's gonna be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. He says, this monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast needs a big ax. And that's what the law is, a big ax. Accordingly, the proper use and function of the law is to threaten until the conscience is scared stiff. What they're both saying is that God uses the law to prove to us how sinful we are, to prove to us how how, how broken we are. They, they lead us, or they, it ought to lead us to a complete and utter despair in ourselves. He uses the law to prove to us that we need a savior. When we read the, the, the Ten Commandments and we say, here's God's standard, if we're honest with ourselves and we know we can't meet that standard, then that should lead us to, uh, to like a, a crippling despair. What am I to do? And it forces us to, to cry out for help from someone else. Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I don't know if you remember that one. He told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and he said they were, uh, he was at the temple one day, I believe it was, and the, the, um, the Pharisee came in first and he made a big showing and he went up to the, to the front where everybody could see and uh, he began to pray uh, kind of to be seen uh, so everyone would notice him. And he prayed something like, God, thank you so much that I'm not like these other people around here. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a thief. I'm not like this guy over here. God, thank you so much that you've made me different and better than all of these other people, right? And then the, the tax collector was there, and when he came into the temple to pray, he didn't go up front like everyone else. It said he, I think it said he fell down, and he just beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you remember that story, Jesus said, uh, that the, the tax collector is the one that went home justified that day, right? Because that's what God wants. God doesn't want people who are, who are good, 
right? Back to, uh, I turned away from it, back to 1 Timothy chapter one, that, that passage talks about the law being used unlawfully. Um, he says it wasn't given for the righteous. It was given for sinners, right? The law wasn't given for righteous, it was given for sinners because none of us are righteous. And it's to prove that, to show us that. Of course, if that was all that, that we had in the whole Bible was just the Ten Commandments, then that would be really bad news also, right? Because, okay, we see God's standard, we see ourselves, and we can't reach it, so that's really, really bad. But the good news is that, that God sent Jesus, who was able to fully measure up to that standard. He did keep the Ten Commandments. He did keep the whole law. If we go back through them really quickly, he was faithful to God alone. He made no images. He was the image of God. He honored the Lord's name, his own name. He didn't misuse it. He honored the Sabbath and kept it holy. And in in fact, we may see when we get to that commandment that he fulfilled the Sabbath and he is our true rest. We find our true rest in him. He perfectly honored his father and mother. He didn't kill, he gave life. He didn't commit adultery. He was faithful to all of his righteous people. He didn't steal or take from others. He provided for his people. He didn't give false testimony. As we've already seen, he was, he is the truth. And and he didn't covet. Jesus fulfilled and kept the law for himself so that he could be a perfect sacrifice but he also fulfilled and kept the law for us as our representative. So we received the benefits of Jesus's law keeping. So one of my favorite passages, I've often said if I was ever gonna get a tattoo, this might be what I got. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, God, the Father, made the one who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. There was a switch that happened, right? Jesus obeyed everything perfectly. He was righteous. He was holy. We didn't. We weren't. And yet Jesus took our sin on himself and Jesus gave us his obedience, gave us his righteousness. So today, we really can. This is odd to say. Maybe it may be odd to hear But today, we can really say that we have completely, fully obeyed the law. We can say that about ourselves. We've completely, fully obeyed the law. We've kept the Ten Commandments. We can say that we measure up to God's standard and his holiness that he revealed in them. If, we can say those things if we're trusting in Jesus alone for our righteousness. Because he obeyed them for us And he gave us his obedience. He gave us his righteousness. So we can say that we have kept the law. We can say that we have fulfilled the law in Christ. But if when you read the Ten Commandments, you find yourself trying to keep track of how many others are, or how other people are doing in relation to them, if you find yourself trying to work hard to keep them as a a means of trying to earn God's favor to make him pleased with you, stop that. Stop doing that. That's not what the law is for. And if you try to use the law that way, it's, it's, it's deadly. Instead, see God's holiness in them and see your inability to measure up to it. 
Admit before God that you can't measure up to his standard and then call out to him to provide someone who can do that for you. Trust that he's done that in the life of Jesus and that your sins have been atoned for, have been covered in his death. And then we can sing one of the hymns that we like to sing, not the labors of my hands can fulfill your law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for for a good Sunday night. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the 10 commandments. God, we thank you that your law comes at us hard and, and, and we see in it our own sinfulness, our own fallenness, our own uh, inability to, to, to be what, what you call us to be, our inability in many ways to be what, what, you, what, what we ourselves want to be. And yet, God, I pray for each of us here tonight. God, I pray for our whole church. I pray for those that we know and family and friends in our lives, God, that you would help us to be a witness to them that, the, that, that, that that knowledge, God, that realization that we cannot measure up, God, I pray that that would not drive us to despair. I pray that it would drive us to Christ, would drive us to Jesus, who can measure up and, has, and who has measured up for us. And God, I pray that when we're tempted to, uh, to judge ourselves based on our, our actions, God, I pray that when we're tempted to, to, uh, to view how, you, how, how you're pleased with us or not pleased with us based on our own abilities to, to keep your commandments and keep your laws. God, I pray that you would remind us of Jesus, our Savior, and it would flee to him again, Father. And not, not that sin doesn't matter, but we would go to him and repent of our sins, repent of our inability to, to, to measure up and to keep the law. And yet, Father, know that there is forgiveness and there is salvation and there is hope in your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that. I pray that we're believing that, trusting that, hoping in that. And it's in his name we pray, amen.